Today, we're going to, the title of my sermon is A Look at America. A Look at America. And this is the last sermon in our series, Heed the Warning, as we go through the book of Jude. This is our very last sermon. So, um, A Look at America. I thought that would be fitting today. So, today we're going to be in Jude, verse 11. So, if you will, turn to that second to last book of the Bible. And we're going to be in verse 11 in that book. And then once you find your place there, if you'll go ahead and turn over to Numbers chapter 16 as well, hold your place in Jude. We're going to be reading some out of Numbers chapter 16 as well. Okay? All right, so once you guys have found your place in Jude, if you'll stand to your feet as we read the Word of God and honor His Word today. So beginning in Jude 11, the Bible says this, Woe to them, for they have gone the way of Cain, have plunged into Balaam's error for profit, and have perished in Korah's rebellion. Then turn over to Numbers 16. We're going to read there, starting in verse 1 of Numbers 16. And the Bible says this in Numbers 16. Now Korah, son of Izhar, son of Kohath, son of Levi... With Dathan and Abiram, sons of Eliab, and On the son of Peleth, sons of Reuben, took 250 prominent Israelite men who were leaders of the community and representatives in the assembly, and they rebelled against Moses. They came together against Moses and Aaron and told them, You have gone too far. Everyone in the entire community is holy, and the Lord is among them. Why then do you exalt yourselves above the Lord's assembly? When Moses heard this, he fell face down. Then he said to Korah and all his followers, Tomorrow morning the Lord will reveal who belongs to him, who is set apart, and the one he will let come near him. He will let the one he chooses come near him. Korah, you and all your followers are to do this. Take firing pans, and tomorrow place fire in them and put incense on them before the Lord. Then the man the Lord chooses will be the one who is set apart. It is you Levites who have gone too far. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are thankful, God, to celebrate another birthday in our nation's history. Um, Lord, we know that our uh, nation was founded in July 4th, 1776, um, as we declared our independence from uh, the empire of England and from the king of England. And Lord, now looking back over 200 years later, uh, Lord, we see that you have certainly moved in this nation and used this nation uh, in many ways for your glory. But Lord, today as we sit here, we know that our nation is certainly in a different place than it once was. We understand, Lord, that the powers of darkness are at work in our nation. And Lord, today, though, we are thankful that our hope is not founded in America, that our hope is in you, Jesus Christ. Lord, we're thankful that even though the nations of this world will rise and fall, the heavenly kingdom will never fail. That one day, Jesus, you will create the new heaven on this earth. And Lord, we will live with you forever for those who know you. So today, God, as we look at your word, speak to our hearts and use us for your glory and your honor. Amen. You may be seated. So the United States was founded by people who left their countries of origin for a place where they could worship freely, find opportunity, and enjoy a life free of oppression. In England and in Europe, many of those people who left to come here had experienced oppression by their governments. Many of the governments of Europe at that time had state-run churches, and basically it was a state-sponsored religion. 
in England. It was the Anglican or Church of England church, and there was really no other church that was recognized by the kingdom. So many of those who did not believe in what the Church of England taught or wanted to freely worship on their own were persecuted in England in those times. Uh, many of them lost jobs. Some of them were killed. Some of their families were taken from them. And they left to find a place free of oppression. And you know, many of our founders, many of those men, when you look at the Declaration of Independence and you see their signatures there at the bottom of that uh, declaration, were men of God, or at least men who held to Christian values. Well, today I would think we would all agree that we're probably in a different day and age. When you think about the most famous line from the Declaration of Independence, it says this, We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And as we read that line, you hear time and time again things mentioned such as created equal, such things as endowed by their creator. And you hear the belief in an existence of God, a creator God who made all things. Many of those men we know were Christians, and therefore we assume that by these words they meant the God of the Bible. But how have we come so far? As we look at America and as we take a look at America today, we think about how the United States became uh, what it is. But you know what? I think it's good sometimes for us to look from a perspective of how what is happening to our nation is actually nothing new among humanity. You know, when you look at the news, I know there's, if you ever want to get depressed, you just turn on the news. If you ever uh, really want a good uh, cry or some anxiety, just flip on your local news station, flip on your national news station, and you're going to find a lot of anxiety there. When you go to the gas pump, guess what? There's some anxiety there. Um, I've actually heard of people who are saying that when they go to the pump, it is not uncommon for them to hear people cussing at the pumps. You know, you're just randomly pumping gas and you hear people cussing. Um, it hurts. It, it, it's a pinch. Um, there's some people who were already financially strapped before this, and now even more so. Uh, people who are having to pay higher prices for goods, but yet their raises are not keeping up with inflation. You see people who are trying to provide for their children and are having trouble buying clothes and food for their children. It's definitely a difficult time, and it's not the America that we all knew and love. This is certainly a different America. And I think sometimes we ask the question, where did we go wrong? How has it become what it is today? Well, today I want us to really look at three different things that are in relation to Korah's rebellion that we just read about here that Jude mentions in Jude 11, but also how all humanity is going to face the same difficulties when they turn their backs on God and when they go after their own desires, their own will, and really, in reality, the worship of themselves is what we're seeing a lot in America today. Everyone has become the center of their own universe and then they wonder why everything falls apart around them. See, none of us were ever meant to be the object of worship. Stuff was never meant to be the object of worship. A nation was never meant to be the object of worship. Only God has ever meant to be the object of worship. Only God can fulfill a lost person. Only God can fulfill any of us. You were created to worship God, the creator of the universe. 
And the reason we're looking at a nation and a world that is floundering and a nation and a world that's scraping to try to figure out how to fix the problems that we're facing, the reason they're looking for that next high or that next fix or that next buzz, the reason they're doing all that is because they have an emptiness in their soul that can only be filled by the Lord God Almighty. And today I believe our churches are also full of people who have chosen to fulfill themselves with stuff rather than God. Fulfill themselves with their own desires and their own passions, their own materialism, their own um, uh, aspirations as opposed to the creator God of the universe. You say, Ben, I go to church. Did you know that going to church is not what it means to be in a relationship with the God of the universe? Church is a part of growth. Church is a part of service. Church is a part of uh, you serving others. But being in a relationship with Jesus Christ means you honor and adore him. As a person, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, you adore him and you, he is the center of your life. Everything you do, you consider Jesus. You actually care if Jesus is hurt by what you do. You actually care if Jesus is glorified by what you do. That is a relationship with Jesus. And I think a lot of times in our nation, as we spoke about last week, a lot of us are just going through the motions. We're just kind of getting by. We're doing the bare minimum, and we're saying, you know what? I'm a Christian, and I'm good to go. And then we wonder why the anxiety. We wonder why the desperation. We wonder why the hopelessness that falls on so many of us so often. It's because Jesus is not the center. It's because Jesus is not the object of our worship and the object of our adoration. So today, as we think about America, we think about this story in the Bible we think about our own individual relationships with God. The first thing, and I'm going to phrase these all in questions. The first question that I want to ask is independence or subjection? Pick one of the two. Independence or subjection? Well, here as we just read in number 16, verses 1 through 7, we find that this man named Korah is stirring up a rebellion in the nation of Israel. Now remember, Israel had come from Egyptian slavery. God had freed them from the bounds of Pharaoh. And as they come into the wilderness, they began to murmur. They began to struggle against the righteousness of God. They began to rebel against Moses. And here, Korah was a very prominent man. He was of the tribe of Levi. And the reason that matters that he was from the tribe of Levi is because the tribe of Levi was known as the priestly tribe. Now, not all the Levites could be priests. Only those who were descendants of Aaron could be priests. Now, Korah was of the tribe of Levi, but he was not a descendant of Aaron. And here we find he is rebelling against the idea that only the sons of Aaron could be priests. You know, when you think about it, every choice you make in life, you're making the choice independence or subjection. Every decision. You're either going to go with your own independent mind, your own independent will, or you're going to subject yourself to the will of God. In every decision that you make, that is the question. That's what it always comes down to. Am I going to go with God, and I, am I going to subject myself to the God of the universe, or am I going to be independent of God, and am I going to make my own choice and my own decision? Well, here as we read, you saw very clearly that Korah comes and he approaches the leaders of the community. And it says in verse 2 of number 16, they rebelled against Moses. 
Now, Moses was God's man. He was called to lead the nation of Israel. He was that intercessor between Israel and God. He was the one that God called to Mount Sinai, and God gave him the tablets of the Ten Commandments. Moses is the one that was able to see the glory of God as God traveled by him, and he saw the train of his glory. Moses is the one that got so close to God that when he came off the mountain, he was glowing with God's glory and had to cover his face because he was scaring everyone. This is the Moses that Korah is rebelling against, God's man. And in verse 3 it says, They came together against Moses and Aaron and told them, You have gone too far. You have gone too far, Aaron and Moses. Everyone in the entire community is holy, and the Lord is among them. Why then do you exalt yourselves above the Lord's assembly? See, as they were doing business with God, the nation of Israel had what is known as the tabernacle. And the tabernacle was really a, a complex that was assembled in the wilderness. And when I say the wilderness, I'm talking about a desert-type situation. And they assembled this tabernacle that had outer gates. It had a tent in the middle of it. It had a place to wash. It had all of these different symbolic rituals that the priests were supposed to engage in in order to quench the wrath of God against Israel's sin. And God had specifically said, only my priests can be about this business. And if anyone else dares to go in and do this work, they'll be killed. And I will not honor their sacrifices. And I will not uh, restore my fellowship to Israel on their behalf. Because I have chosen a specific group of people to do this specific job. Well, here Korah says, we're all holy so are you really going to elevate yourself, Moses and Aaron? Are you saying you're better than us, Moses and Aaron? No, we're not going to stand for that. As a matter of fact, we too are holy enough to be about the Lord's business in the tabernacle. You saw how Moses responded there in Numbers 16, verse 4. When Moses heard this, he fell face down. Then he said to Korah and all his followers, Tomorrow morning the Lord will reveal who belongs to him, who is set apart and the one he will let come near him. He will let the one he chooses come near him. And then he gives Korah some advice and says, All of you do this as well. And God's going to answer us with this fire in these incense pans. And he's going to let us know who he has chosen to do the work of me in the tabernacle. And Moses finishes it by, Then the man the Lord chooses will be the one who is set apart. It is you Levites who have gone too far. See, Moses knew the commands of God. He knew what the answer was going to be. But he was allowing this to be shown because he didn't have the fully revealed word of God at that time. It wasn't like Moses got to carry around the Bible and preach out of the Bible. See, preachers nowadays like me, we've got it easy. We've got the fully revealed word of God in 66 books right here in front of us. Very accurate, very well translated, and we can preach this. See, Moses had to inquire to God a lot. The people would come against him or something would happen. He would have to go inquire the Lord to say, God, what should I do in this situation? And God would speak directly to Moses. See, Moses wrote these first five books of the Bible, by the way. So there was literally no scripture yet except for the tablets and the Ten Commandments. So here he was having to authenticate what he was saying to the children of Israel by asking God to move and to show what was going on. You know, one issue that we have is that we value independence so much that we venture into rebellion. Now, don't get me wrong. 
The fact that the United States became independent of an authoritarian tyrant is a good thing. But what we as Christians have to do is we have to divide Christianity from patriotism. Now, believe me, they're not entirely exclusive. I'm not saying you can't be a good Christian and a good patriot. I think you should be both. But I say that you should never blur the lines between the two. Because what's happening in our American culture is, is that patriotic ideals are becoming what we think are Christian ideals. And we allow the ideals of the Declaration of Independence or the ideals of the Constitution, even though many of them are uh, related and it, many of them do not conflict, there are some that do conflict. And if you try to apply uh, principles that we have toward our government to the Christian faith, such as independence, you find yourself venturing into sin. Because if I said, and I had the mentality toward God that I have toward our government, I would be living in sin. Because how many of us have said before, come and get my guns? I dare you, government, come get my guns. Hey, I'm right there with you. They better not touch my guns. I promise you that. They won't get them easy, right? Hey, I, I believe in independence from an earthly government. And I believe in freedom. But when it comes to our Father in heaven, when he comes to us and we say, hey, keep your hands off of it, God. Hey, God, that's mine. Don't touch that. We're in sin. We're in sin. And what we have to understand is, is that they're separate. That, hey, I'm here to say that one day America will fall. I don't know when. It could be hundreds and hundreds of years. I have no earthly idea. But one thing I do know is the kingdom of God will never fail. And that before I am a patriot, which I am, I am a citizen of heaven. Before I am someone who adheres to the Constitution of the United States, before that, I adhere to this. And if this government that we live under ever says, Ben, you better choose us or God, I promise you every time, I'm going with God. Every single time. And thank God the two have not conflicted to where we've, we've had to make that choice. Praise God that that's not happened because a lot of people all over this world have to make that choice every day between their government and between God. Our Chinese brothers and sisters continuously have to live in rebellion against their earthly government in order to please God every single day. It's important that we divide those two ideas because here Korah, Korah was an independent man. He had his own mind. He had his own ideas and his own thoughts. And today we would congratulate him in many arenas, but not in the arena of spiritual matters. Because what he was essentially saying was, God, your plan and your called men, the, uh, the Aaronic priesthood that you have called and set aside to do my, the business of, in the tabernacle, it's not good enough, God. We can do it too. That'd be like me telling God how to do his job. That'd be like me telling God, you shouldn't have made the trees green, you should have made them purple and pink. That'd be like me telling the creator of the universe that somehow I know more than he does. The omniscient God, who nothing has ever surprised him, all that is was created by him, telling him, God, I know better than you do. I think today we need subjection. And when, we when you hear those two words, you say, Ben, independence sure sounds good. It does. You know, it sounded good to Adam and Eve in the garden, too. When they went up to that tree of knowledge of good and evil, God had said, don't touch it, lest you die. 
And one day they walked by it. And you know what? That independence sounded really good. You know what? Satan already said, you know, did God really say you would die? Did he really say all these bad things would happen? You know, just think for yourself for a minute and just do it. Because you know what? When you eat of that apple, when you eat of that fruit, you're going to be like God. And you're going to know the difference between good and evil. And that independence sounded so good, they took that apple and they ate it. And sin entered into the human race. The curse. It's what we call autonomy today. And many of you have maybe heard that word. Autonomy is the idea that every person is completely independent of anything else. That their decisions should be theirs and theirs alone. That what happens to them bodily should be their decision and theirs alone. That everything about their life is their personal choice and it is theirs to make and no one else's or nothing else's. Now, I will agree that autonomy in a lot of ways is a good thing. But in a lot of ways, it's a bad thing. As I was reading some websites, this is a quote that I saw um, in referencing the recent decision from the Supreme Court that overturned Roe v. Wade. It says, bodily autonomy, the right to make decisions about your own body, including decisions about if, when, and how to parent, is a right. None of us are free to live our authentic sexuality without bodily autonomy. And without a doubt, we are facing a crisis of access. The leaked Supreme Court draft decision that would overturn Roe v. Wade only confirms what we have long feared. A person's right to choose what is best for their body, for their life, may soon be dictated by their state legislator. As Christians, we say praise God that Roe v. Wade was overturned. Because we understand that because that law was overturned, lives are going to be saved. Now, we're not living in a fairy tale land that says there will never be another abortion uh, done in this country. We're not living in that fairy tale world. But we're living in a world where we understand that every single life that's saved is infinitely important. And if overturning Roe v. Wade is going to save one baby, it's worth it. If just one little life that God made in his own image that he knit together in that child's womb survives and sees the light of day, it was all worth it. But did you hear what this pro-choice advocate said? Because they were so transparent in sharing what autonomy is in connection with abortion that they really gave it all away. There was nothing left to be a secret. It says, none of us are free to live our authentic sexuality without bodily autonomy. You know what that means? That means without abortion, it is going to be more difficult for people to choose how they want to express themselves sexually. Because the idea is, when you hear the words like equity and, and total equality, what that is about is that is about a gender-neutral society. That is about completely erasing the consequences of being a man or a woman. It's about stating that if a man can go and have multiple partners romantically and sexually without the consequence of pregnancy, that a woman should be able to do the same. And with abortion, they say we have now achieved that 100% equality because now if a woman becomes pregnant, all she has to do is go and have an abortion. And that has risen the status of women up to an equality with men. That is at the core of the abortion movement, by the way. That is why they say 
it elevates women's rights. That's why they say that when you take away abortion, you're taking away women's health care. It's because they know their goal is 100% equality bet between the genders and erasing the roles of genders to where no matter how perverted your sexuality is, you can achieve that sexuality with minimal consequences. What it is, is it's Korah. It's me looking at God and saying, God, your purpose and your design for man and woman, your purpose and your design for sexuality is not good enough. We should be able to do whatever we want to do. We should be able to have as many partners as we want to have. We should be able to um, be, be homosexual or transgender or, or even pedophilia is on the rise. Um, there's even uh, pedophilia rights groups. I'm not sure if you, if you know how far that's gone or not. And it all goes back to Korah's rebellion saying, God, your way isn't good enough. It's complete autonomy from a holy God who has designed and structured everything to work in a particular way. In Numbers chapter 4, God, several chapters back, God specifically says what the job of Korah and his descendants are. It is that they would be in charge of the instruments of worship. As Levites, they still had access to the worship of God, but they were not to be priests. They were to be in charge of the Ark of the Covenant, the table of showbread, the, the laver that, was, that they used to wash with when they entered into the, the, the complex. Those were the things that Korah and his people were to be in charge of. God had already set the boundaries. This is my design for my worship to be carried forward in the nation of Israel. Stay within the boundaries, Korah. No, God, that's your boundary. I'm going to go right here. And I'm going to delve into the priesthood. I'm going to insert myself into an arena that you have not set apart for me to do. That's where America is today, my friends. America has said, God, we don't need your boundaries. God, we don't need your righteousness. God, we don't need your holiness. As a matter of fact, we're going to create our own holiness. You ever heard of social justice? That is the religion of secular America. That is the religion that says that everyone should be 100% equal, not only equal um, uh, input, but also equal outcome, which means that if you work a 40-hour week job and you work your tail end off and you make a good living wage, and this person over here does not put in the same input into that job that you did, they should still make the same money. That means that when your child earns a, uh, a scholarship to a fine institution, they're going to say, well, there's a lot of things that played into your child earning that, one of which is their skin color, uh, two of which is probably um, your socioeconomic status, and all these other things play into it. So because your child, even though they've worked their tail end off to get that scholarship, you know what? We're going to go ahead and give this child who, who made C's and D's, who, who didn't have the same opportunities as your child, we're going to give them the same scholarship. As a matter of fact, you know what? We're actually going to take the scholarship away from your child, and we're going to give it to this child. Because social justice requires that. That's how we can be an, a society of equity. That's how we can ensure that everyone gets to be equal. See, it's the mind of Satan that is permeating the minds of the people of this country. And it's difficult. It's difficult to hear, but we're seeing it play out. 
And it's not so much a theory anymore, but we're actually seeing things happen in relation to this. Well, the next question that I have for you is this. Chaos or order? Chaos or order? We know that in terms of our spiritual walk with our Lord, we should be in subjection to Him and the leading of the Holy Spirit. But the next question is, should we choose chaos or order? Well, it's very simple, and I think everyone would choose the same, is order. Numbers 18, beginning in verse 1, the Bible says this. The Lord said to Aaron, you, your sons, and your ancestral family will be responsible for iniquity against the sanctuary. You and your sons will be responsible for iniquity involving your priesthood. But also bring your relatives with you from the tribe of Levi, your ancestral tribe, so they may join you and assist you and your sons in front of the tent of the testimony. They are to perform the duties for you and for the whole tent. They must not come near the sanctuary, equipment, or the altar. Otherwise, both they and you will die. They are to join you and guard the tent of meeting, doing all the work at the tent, but no unauthorized person may come near you. You are to guard the sanctuary and the altar so that the wrath may not fall on Israelites again. Look, I have selected your fellow Levites from the Israelites as a gift for you, assigned by the Lord to work at the tent of meeting. Verse 7, but you and your sons will carry out your priestly responsibilities for everything concerning the altar and for what is inside the curtain, and you will do that work. I am giving you the work of the priesthood as a gift, but an unauthorized person who comes near the sanctuary will be put to death. Here, God is reiterating, even though he had already laid the boundaries out in Numbers 4, he is reiterating those boundaries because something horrible has happened. In chapter 16, you're going to find that there was a great judgment that fell upon Korah, upon all the 250 men who followed Korah in the rebellion, and also over 14,000 Israelites were killed as well because of their rebellion against the design and the boundaries that God had set. See, here God is saying, Aaron and his sons, you are the priests. And any unauthorized person that comes near the priestly work will be put to death. Today, as we live in a modern society, today, as we see these revolutions popping up all over the place, we're seeing how every time a new revolution pops up in our culture and in our society, that it is always a cry out against the boundaries of God. It's always a cry out against what God has set in his designed order. You think about marriage. Marriage is one of those fundamental institutions. Marriage was instituted in God's word before the church. Did you know that? In Genesis chapter 1, we find that God made man in his image. He created them male and female. And for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and will cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Do you see how early in the revealed word of God, God set those boundaries? how fundamental marriage is in the life of a Christian and even in the life of a successful society. Marriage is so important, and what we see is a continuous attack against those boundaries in our society and our culture. Our culture has come to the place where it's almost like they're trying to think up of something that gets them as far as possible away from what God intended. You think of groups such as Antifa and Black Lives Matter, and you, you read their, their manifestos and, and their, uh, their purpose and their goals and their mission. Their goals are to destabilize the, the uh, Christian 
uh, norm of marriage between one man and one woman. Because they know when they destabilize uh, biblical marriage that they are now going to make the nation weaker and it's going to destabilize it to the point where now a new government order can enter. And uh, if you don't believe me, just look at any of Marx's policies um, with uh, Karl Marx. Look into Black Lives Matter. Look into Antifa. And they're very clear about what they believe and their purposes and their goals. And it is to destabilize our country so that they can move in with a communist government. And they have to de- uh, destabilize the family unit in order to make that happen. Number 1610, Cora just comes right out and says this. And this is the mentality of our people today. In Numbers chapter 16, verse 10, Moses told him this, He has brought you near and all your fellow Levites who are with you, but you are pursuing the priesthood as well. Korah didn't care about God's commands. Korah didn't care about God's design. Korah cared about his own power. Korah cared about his own fame. And that brings us to this last question. Judgment or justification. Judgment or justification. In Numbers chapter 17, verse 12, the Bible says this. Numbers 17, verse 12. Then the Israelites declared to Moses, Look, we're perishing. We're lost. We're all lost. Anyone who comes near the Lord's tabernacle will die. We will we all perish. Now, there's going to come a time when that is the cry of humanity. When they begin to shout out to God, we're all perishing. We're lost. We're all lost. Will we all perish? The Bible is very clear that the wages of sin is death. The Bible teaches us that it is appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment. The truth is, indeed, we will all perish. But the question is, where will you spend eternity? Here as we look, Korah chose judgment. If you look in Numbers 16, you see where God opened up the earth and swallowed Korah and his family and closed it back up. That was the judgment of God upon a man who outrightly blasphemed the design and the holiness of a righteous God. I think sometimes we focus so much on the love of God that we forget about his holiness and his righteousness and the fact that sin is an offense to him. But you know what's so beautiful about our Lord? Even though we are all guilty, me, every single one of us, standing before the judge without an excuse in our mouths, we are guilty because the Bible says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Even though we are guilty, the Lord makes a way for us to be justified. He makes a way for us to be holy, just like him. As you read through the book of Leviticus, those of you who have done that, you hear God command Israel time and time again, be holy because I am holy. Did you know that's still the greatest command that you can ever see in God's word? Be holy. Because without holiness, we cannot enter into heaven. Without holiness, we have no hope. Without holiness, we can't have a relationship with God. Although Korah chose judgment, and although we see many in our society today choosing judgment today, I beg you to choose that justification. 
Because the Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The invitation is there. It's been presented to you. And God is saying, will you choose justification or will you choose judgment? And we see people all around choosing judgment. And the Bible teaches us that their end is demise. Their end is total darkness. Their end is eternal damnation. But we also know that the Lord God Almighty sent his son Jesus to die on the cross. That Jesus was God in the flesh. And Jesus lived a perfect life on this earth. He died a criminal's death on a horrific uh, torture device known as a cross. And he was buried and he rose again three days later. And the reason he did that was because, number one, we had a bunch of sin penalties that we, need to be, we needed to have paid for. He paid the penalty for my sins and your sins. But then you know what else he did? He purchased for us a place in heaven. Not only am I going to forgive you of your sins, not only am I going to justify you and make you holy, but I'm also going to provide a place for you in heaven for you to live forever and ever. All you got to do is submit all you've got to do is trust. All you've got to do is lean into me and the sacrifice that I provided, and I will save you. Hey, listen, salvation, by the way, isn't a secret prayer that you pray. It's not a password that you've got to say to get into a club. It's crying out to a holy God, I'm lost. God, I'm lost. Will you save me? Hey, I know you sent your son to die for me. I'm lost, and I need your salvation. And the Bible says, based upon your faith, in other words, you trusting that by asking him he'll do it, he'll do it. And the Bible says that your name will be written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Today, hey, we certainly should celebrate America. But you know what we should celebrate even more? The kingdom of heaven that we can all count on. I don't care who gets elected next uh, midterm, next election cycle. I don't care what happens to the White House, what happens to the Supreme Court, what happens to the Congress. They can go off the rails of the crazy train, and they already have, but the kingdom of heaven will endure forever. And guess what? I don't have to worry about my, my little old house over here in Candler because I've got a mansion that is guaranteed to me based upon the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Let's pray.